On today's Winning Cures Everything, Notre Dame quarterback transfers to Alabama, the Colorado Purge, and their potential Pac-12 plans. Uh, field storming could cost SEC teams a home game. The Big Ten raids the Pac-12 again. And, of course, a whole lot more. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Can you believe it? It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host, a confident young man, a superb athlete, Gary Seegers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, powered by BetUS, where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. This is the Thursday, April 27th edition of the show. It's Season 8, Episode 26. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, first, thank you. Uh, if you would, so kindly hit that like button. And whether you're watching or listening to the podcast, hit subscribe so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. Yes, we're going to have another show this evening, the NFL Draft Show. I'll tell you about that here in a minute. Let me go on and tell you this. I've gotten your messages, just so you guys know. I heard you loud and clear. All of my stuff here at Winning Cures Everything will soon be available on Rumble as well. So you don't have to watch just on YouTube or Twitter or uh, the Facebook page or whatever. You can now also watch on Rumble. So spread the word. Get the subscriber count up over there. You have to reach a certain point before they'll let you stream live. So uh, so let's boost that thing. And there you go. So you guys that want to watch on Rumble, we, we will be over there as well. Uh, note time. Tonight, 7 p.m. Central Time. Winning Cures Everything live stream for the NFL Draft. Me, Chris Giannini, and the Westlot Pirates boys. Go ahead and get you a few adult beverages. Be ready to laugh your way through the first round of the NFL draft with us. Uh, the event has already been created on YouTube. Just click out that link or click on that link and uh, and hit the notify button so you can join us live. And, uh, you know, make sure that you have a good time during the first round tonight. I know it's nuts. I'm doing two shows in one day. As I have told you guys before, uh, with a family, with two other jobs, moving. I'm sure you noticed that it's a little, it's a little empty in here right now. Uh, but we got to get the shows in when you can, right? So, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's, uh, let's write the times down here. All right, Notre Dame starting quarterback for the 2022 season opener, Tyler Buckner, entered the transfer portal and has now chosen to join his former offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, at Alabama. He's expected to have three years of eligibility remaining. Now, let's go ahead and start off with this. It does not mean that he's going to immediately be the starter. Obviously, there are things he's got to fix, because Nick Saban is not going to put up with him uh, putting up three passing touchdowns and five interceptions in only three games. Now, he threw three picks against South Carolina alone in the bowl game and ultimately won the game with three touchdown passes and two rushing touchdowns. Alabama was in on recruiting him initially back in 2018. His primary recruiters in 2019 were Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian. But don't get it twisted. No players get an offer unless Nick Saban says so, and the Tide had offered him a scholarship back in May of 2018 after his sophomore season in high school. That was before Sark even came back to Tuscaloosa. Buckner was the number 11 quarterback in that same class that had North Carolina's Drake May at number 9 and Alabama's Jalen Milrow as the number 13 quarterback in the 247 composite. Now, Buckner, he's six foot two, 
215 pounds. He was Notre Dame's starter last year before going out with an injury in the second game of the season, which was a loss to Marshall. He is obviously familiar with Tommy Reese. He's going to have to learn a new offense this summer to prep for fall camp. Uh, he'll be competing with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. Uh, Simpson was the number three quarterback in the 2022 class behind, uh, uh, behind Cade Klubnick and Connor Wigman. And potentially 2023's number eight and number 11 quarterbacks, Eli Holstein and Dylan Lonergan. Uh, there's a lot to like about Buckner's game. Like, don't get, it, don't get it twisted. He's got wheels. His passes have a little bit of zip on them. But I do think it says quite a bit about what the Alabama quarterback room is missing if Alabama's willing to bring in another quarterback when there's already four on the roster. Like, I, I would expect somebody to transfer out in the next week before the window closes. It, who knows? Can Alabama win a national title with Buckner at quarterback? Yes. I mean, they won titles with Jake Coker, with A.J. McCarron, with Greg McElroy, and Georgia just won back-to-back titles with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Like, if Nick Saban is looking at what Georgia has done with moving back to a style of play that he's much more comfortable with, it's absolutely a possibility. Clint Lamb from On3, he pointed out something interesting that could play into this a little bit, by the way. His tweet says, Interesting note, since 2009, Alabama only had four seasons where it did not make postseason. Uh, or the national championship game, or the playoff. 2010, 2013, 2019, and 2022. It is also the only four seasons since 2009 where Alabama failed to average at least 36 rushing attempts per game. Who knows what exactly that will mean? Uh, But I, I think we all know that we can expect a little more running this year from the Alabama offense. All right, continuing on. Let's move over to Colorado. We've seen the roster overhauls before. Uh, this is starting to look like the Purge Boulder edition. Uh, 18 kids entered the transfer portal on Monday. That included wide receiver Montana Lamonius Craig, who was one of the stars of the spring game. And on Tuesday, defensive tackle Jalen Sami, uh, or Sami, whatever you want to say, uh, he entered the portal uh, along with several others. Uh, Max Olson. He's got an article over at The Athletic about just how crazy the numbers really are. Colorado has now seen 51 scholarship players enter the portal since the end of last season. Like, the next closest P5 program had 29. And to put it into even more context, the Buffs had 83 scholarship players at the start of the 2022 season. Only 19 of them are still on the roster uh, as of Tuesday, I believe. Sanders' quotes have been, well, interesting to say the least. Like, after the sold-out spring game Saturday, he said, uh, you all know that we're going to move on from some of the team members, and we're going to reload and get some kids that we really identify with. So this process is going to be quick, it's going to be fast, but we're going to get it done. When he was asked about the kids that left before the spring game, he said, I didn't kick them out, they walked out. We've got to make some decisions, that's going to be on me now. That was on them, now it's on me. So, who really knows how many kids were asked to leave, how many left on their own, or even how many left that Coach Prime would have preferred to have stay. Like he went on the Pat McAfee show and acted like he was surprised that the number was actually low, which is just insane. He talked about how this was his plan the whole time. And, and this is the truth, right? It's not like he didn't warn the players ahead of time. He's let it be known from the moment that he first spoke to them uh, that basically everybody would eventually be gone. He wanted to bring in players with a different winning mindset. I believe he said, like, you can't bring in the new furniture until you get rid of the old furniture. Like, of the 41 kids that started at some point last year, only 10 of them are still left on the team. 
Now, obviously, that can be a good thing, or depending on who they bring in and, and what the depth situation looks like, that could be a bad thing. But I guess the less players that you have from a 1-11, maybe worst P5 I've ever seen team, the better. Uh, David Ubbin of The Athletic, he talked with multiple players that explained uh, that they were basically cut from the team and and how it went down. And some were talking about they couldn't get film, et cetera. There's, we don't know the full story on these. We'll just say that. There's two sides to every story. But let, let's look at both sides of these kids getting cut, et cetera. Uh, we've legalized NIL. Like, we're not supposed to think of them as as just kids anymore. These are adults that didn't perform, and the new boss wants to bring in new guys that he has confidence in rather than roll with the bunch that got the old coach fired. Like, things have changed drastically in this sport. This is just another example of it. Uh, Lincoln Riley did the same thing at USC when he came in there. I mean, he cut like nine or ten guys last year. Dion is at least talking to these guys face-to-face and telling them what's up. And while it's not ideal and it may not seem, you know, fair, it's much more like a corporate environment, which is what college football has turned into. Like, when everything is about money and viewers, et cetera, you, you know what goes on behind the scenes is going to be, you know, all about results as well. Nobody ever wants to see how the sausage is made, right? So looking at the roster, the question now becomes whether or not Dion can bring in enough good players to be competitive. Like, the most important positions are going to be on the line of scrimmage where they lost all nine defensive linemen and eight of 14 offensive linemen, if, if my math is right. Uh, losing this many players is absurd. Like, I'm, I'm not going to argue with what he's doing, though. I'm, I'm sure he's got a plan, and if he doesn't, I mean, he's doing a hell of a job convincing people that he does. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely hype around what Prime is doing, mainly because we've never seen anything like it. But trying to fill in the line of scrimmage with impact players, that does not seem likely to happen this late in in the cycle. And people are starting to understand uh, what all of it means as Colorado's early win total that opened at 4.5 has been bet down to 3.5 already. So while it it may not necessarily work this year, it's a full reset that could certainly pay dividends going forward. It's going to be exciting to watch. I'll, I'll admit that. Now, Winning Cures Everything is brought to you by BetUS. With fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and, of course, an easy-to-use layout, it is easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sports book for nearly 30 years. Right now, they're going to give you $50 to play with with no deposit required just by signing up using the link in the description. So take advantage of the deal and make sure you get signed up at BetUS, where the game begins. Pat Forty has an interesting piece over at Sports Illustrated. And he's detailing how the SEC is looking into making penalty, uh, penalties significantly more strict for when students storm the field or court after a game. Now, the subcommittee tasked with working on event safety appointed by Commissioner Greg Sankey last November, uh, that was less than three weeks after Tennessee beat Alabama and stormed the field at Neyland Stadium. Uh, this includes Alabama AD Greg Byrne, Kentucky AD Mitch Barnhart, and Georgia's AD Josh Brooks. Obviously, it makes sense to have Burn, as Alabama's last six road games in football have resulted in field stormings. Uh, Barnhart, whose basketball Wildcats have had the court stormed multiple times against them in the last few years. And then Brooks, who is the next most likely to have the field stormed, if, of course, the Bulldogs ever lose again, now that they've won, what, two straight national titles in like 33 of the last 34 games. I mean, it's just absurd. 
Regardless, Forty's article detailed how one of the options being discussed is the team that storms the field could lose their next home game against the team that they just beat. Now, for example, if this had been in place last season, Tennessee beat Alabama and then stormed the field. So Alabama would host the next three games against the Vols as opposed to it going from Tuscaloosa back to Knoxville and so on. Which means in years where a school has a four-home, five-away conference schedule, if the league actually goes to nine games, it could be 3-6. They could have three home games and six away games. And yes, it does seem a little bit harsh. But the idea behind it is to find a way for schools to keep fans off the field, thus eliminating danger for the opposing team. Like the SEC had a tiered system of fines with a second offense costing a school $100,000 and a third and beyond would cost $250,000. Now, per WVLT last year after Tennessee's win over Alabama, UT system president Randy Boyd was seen in a video circulating social media after the game. He was looking over a field of Tennessee fans taking down the goalpost. He was asked how much that would cost, to which he replied, it doesn't matter. We'll do this every year. I am not certain that that sat well uh, with the SEC office. Ross Dellinger was able to catch up with Greg Sankey, uh, who told him, people have said you should flip the home site. People have said that you should forfeit the game. People have said you shouldn't get to a bowl game. All of it sounds kind of nuts, right? So, two other options are forfeiting the game that your team just won or not being able to go to a bowl game. Again, harsh. It sounds like they are taking it incredibly serious. Sankey was quick to point out, though, that nothing has been decided as of yet, and and I would imagine it, it won't be as drastic as taking away a victory or keeping a team out of a bowl. But have we reached a point where the schools could lose a big home game? I mean, the fines have been mocked openly, so what is the punishment that schools will take seriously? Like, I, I think that I could actually get on board with this. It presents a legit disadvantage, which I would imagine would make fans think twice about doing something that could really hurt their team. Uh, Sankey went on, he presented an option for teams. Um, he said, can you stop it? Sure. You can send teams into stands to celebrate with fans. We see that in basketball pretty frequently. You can educate your fans. Stay off the floor. We're going to come to you and let's celebrate that way. There are positive ways to engage in post-game celebration that don't involve rushing the field and tearing down goalposts. Now, while there's no official proposal, the SEC commissioner gave Ross a list of options that have been discussed. Uh, those include doubling or tripling or even quadrupling the fines, uh, forfeiting the next home game against that team, which we just talked about, uh, banning a team from a bowl, forfeiting the game in which the field was stormed, having higher standards for visiting team and officials, uh, having higher standards for a team's exit. So building some type of pathway for a team to get out, like making it safer for a team to get off the field where there is no interaction between the fans and, of course, the players. Like, there's, it, we'll have to see what, it, what they end up coming with, but I would wager we'll see other conferences pass some of the same stuff to help avoid legal issues if an injury does occur during a field or court storming in the future. I mean, we saw this with Tennessee and Alabama last year. Jermaine Burton uh, hit a woman or hit somebody. He claims it was in self-defense. Who knows? But you can avoid a lot of this crap by coming up with some kind of a system to where they are not going to be on the field at the same time. Just saying. All right, on the other side, CFP stakeholders meeting. Uh, we're going to talk to Pac-12 being in more trouble. The Colorado chancellor speaks publicly and, and, of course, a whole lot more. 
Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the BetUS TV College football channel. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. And now, back to the show. The CFP Management Committee kicked off three days of meetings on Tuesday, and Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger is there detailing all of the action. Uh, All 10 conferences and Notre Dame's AD Jack Swarbrick make up the committee, and ESPN, along with all of the New Year's Six Bowl executives, were on hand as they all try to finalize details of the 2024 and 25 12-team playoff expansion while also prepping for potentially a new contract in 2026 and beyond. Uh, The biggest puzzle piece that has not been figured out yet includes the television rights, which are owned by ESPN through 2025. Now, ESPN, of course, they're dealing with layoffs, They're trying to be savvy with how they spend their money on rights fees right now. It looks like they have two choices. Uh, One, televise all 11 CFP games in 24 and 25. Or two, allow a second media outlet to bid on part of the package. Now, Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports president, he told Dellinger, given ESPN is the existing CFP media partner, it is likely at this point they are the only entity that uh, that can negotiate for the added games in 24 and 25 as well as secure some sort of extension for additional years. Now, according to the contract, two additional years of expansion are valued at an extra $450 million. But on the open market, it could fetch as much as three times that amount. So it's not likely that they let ESPN talk them into additional years without it going to market, especially considering conferences like the Big Ten and Pac-12 have been vocal about wanting multiple networks to be involved in the playoff, something like the NFL has with their playoff system. And along with the money side, they have to figure out when the games will actually be played. They're navigating holidays, on-campus graduation ceremonies, uh, the NFL schedule, and more. Now, right now, Ross laid out some tentative dates the commissioners established back in the fall. Uh, The first round would be the third week in December with one game on Friday night, three on Saturday. That's the same weekend that the NFL begins playing three regular season games on Saturdays. Now, right as I was recording this, Uh, It was confirmed that in 2024, the first round games will include one game on Friday, December 20th, and three on Saturday, December 21st, uh, just as Dellinger had reported before. The CFP quarterfinals have been planned to coincide with New Year's Day. They will remain unaffected by NFL games in 24 and 25. Uh, It's expected that three quarterfinal games will be played on New Year's Day, with the remaining one scheduled for either New Year's Eve or the following day, depending on the calendar. Uh, The semifinals are set to take place approximately a week after the quarterfinals, with the exact date varying depending on the year. Like, for example, in 24, the semifinals are slated for the weekend of January 10th through 12th. Uh, And, of course, that coincides with NFL wildcard weekend when several playoff games are scheduled across Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, Therefore, really, the most feasible solution would be to host the semifinals on Thursday and or Friday evenings. Uh, And just a note, the championship game is anticipated to be rescheduled to a later date, perhaps by a week or two, uh, but will remain on a Monday. Now, as of right now, the title games are scheduled on January 20th, 2025 in Atlanta and January 19th, 2026 in Miami. 
So we're talking about getting pretty deep into January at that point, uh, which gets awfully close to the NFL Combine, by the way, uh, which started on February 28th this year. There's been a lot of talk about moving week one into the spot where week zero currently resides. This is all an effort to avoid playing too deep into January, but that changes rivalry week off of Thanksgiving, replacing it with conference championship week. Do you want to give up uh, that television revenue from having so many people at home watching games that weekend? You know, Army-Navy's probably going to have to move away from their standalone window, one would assume. Uh, And on top of that, the bowl experience is also going to be changing. This doesn't have as much to do with the TV windows and whatnot, but uh, teams are going to be arriving two to three days ahead instead of the typical five-day bowl experience. They also still have to figure out ticket distribution, pricing, and the management of the game. Uh, All in all, like, we don't have a lot that's definitive right now, but things are moving forward. I mean, that's definitely a good thing. Uh, Remember, this all starts next season So they got to get this done fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. Uh, Moving along here, the Big Ten is raiding the Pac-12 again. John Wilner reported with the Bay Area News Group this week that the Pac-12 has confirmed that multiple officials have resigned and says it is in the process of replacing them. And I know what you're thinking, Gary. What does that have to do with the Big Ten or a TV deal or whatever, right? Well, let me tell you, three top Pac-12 referees, Chris Coit, Francisco Villar, and Steve Strimling, have resigned to join the Big Ten, while a fourth referee, Michael Mothershed, has retired. Pac-12 center judge Jim Wari, who also has experience as a referee, is reportedly heading to the Big Ten as well. Now, the three departing referees who reside in Southern California They are expected to officiate home games for USC and UCLA once the schools join the Big Ten in 2024. So, aside from calling games in LA, why are they leaving? Like, the difference in salary uh, between the two conferences is not believed to be substantial, but the departing referees are said to view the move as an enticing opportunity and a chance to separate from the Pac-12's vice president for officiating, David Coleman. Coleman, if you remember, uh, was an on-field official for two major college games. That's it. Two of them, before being hired to run the Pac-12's officiating program, which has experienced significant scandals and gaffes in recent years, such as the Oregon-Oregon State snafu back in uh, 2020 and a USC-Washington State officiating goof that cost Washington State a game back when Mike Leach was still the coach in Pullman. Uh, Ben Ostro of Football Zebras, he reported this news as well. He pointed out that the Pac-12 does not have a good feeder program uh, for officials from smaller conferences like the other four power conferences. So the fact that they will have new referees for at least uh, half of its eight officiating crews uh, in one of the most anticipated conference seasons in recent memory, that, that doesn't seem like good news. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny that the Pac-12 has, has turned into the feeder system for like the Big Ten as far as referees go. Uh, the Pac-12 does plan to replace the departing referees with officials from within the conference and from other conferences uh, who have applied for the vacancies. But again, I mean, who are, who are the candidates? I mean, this is bananas. Uh, not only did schools leave, uh, but some of the best officials in the conference, uh, they're, they're also deciding to leave. And there's still no TV deal. So just throwing that out there. Quick reminder here, hit that like button. Of course, it looks like this. Uh, and make sure to subscribe to the channel. You guys know this is a one-man operation. Every like, every subscribe, every podcast review, every share, uh, every telling somebody about the show, it really helps me out, along with, you know, picking up something from the uh, the merch store. 
that would help out as well. All right. Uh, moving along. Writer time's down, of course. Colorado. Is the Big 12 a backup plan for Colorado? Now, the Colorado Chancellor had some interesting things to tell USA Today uh, earlier in the week, last week, so let's go ahead and break them down. Phil DeStefano, of course, Chancellor at Colorado. He talked with USA Today's Brent Schrotenberg. I don't think I said that right. Schrotenborg. That's right. Last week, about a number of different things. He talked about the excitement that Deion Sanders has brought to the football program, what's going on with the Pac-12, etc. Like, obviously, we've been following this realignment stuff here for a while so getting the Colorado Chancellor on the record shortly after Andrew Marshan reported to watch the Buffs as a school that could leave for the Big 12, well, that's a pretty big deal. And it's something that we are certainly going to pay attention to. So did he give us anything noteworthy? Maybe. Like, if you can decipher this code that he's put out there, uh, they start the article with talk about the Pac-12 media rights negotiations. Other school presidents have spoken, and they have been made to look a bit foolish by giving an expected timetable that has been blown past. So what thoughts does the Chancellor of Colorado have on this? Now, the article says, DeStefano said, there's a very good possibility the next deal will bring in per revenues, or excuse me, per school revenues, ranking third among the Power Five conferences ahead of the Big 12 and Atlantic Coast conferences. He also hopes it's a five- to seven-year deal instead of being locked into a longer contract like the 12-year deal that ends next year and once was touted as the most valuable in college sports. Everyone passed us up in revenue during that 12-year period after, he said. Third among Power Five conferences. So not only more than the Big 12's $31 million annual per school average, but also more than the ACC's $36 million per school average. And and on top of that, he wants a shorter five- to seven-year contract. That's been all the talk. I mean, Nick Kahn talked about it. Uh, when he spoke to Andrew Marshawn and whatnot, he said, I would recommend a smaller contract. I don't believe that ESPN or Fox or any of the big names are going to go for that. I find all of that rather hard to believe after following this story so closely. A deal like that, I think, would shock all of the major media members that cannot seem to make these puzzle pieces of money and linear fit together. But they continued on. They said a shorter contract would provide flexibility amid a turbulent media industry that's been disrupted by internet streaming services. I think in five years, we'll get a much better feel for streaming services, said DeStefano, Colorado's chancellor since 2009. Obviously, he's been at this for a little while. He said, that's changing so much, and it's going to put us in a position to pick up some things that maybe we're not going to get at this point. Okay. So the intrigue with streaming is there, but as I've said before, you don't hire Deion Sanders and change your academic requirements. We'll talk about that in a second. Just to put the football program behind an Apple paywall. The article, like, here's the other thing. What is he talking about? Like, it's going to put us in the position to pick up some things that maybe we're not going to get at this point when it comes to streamers? I mean, what, what world are we living in? What, what could he possibly be talking about getting that they couldn't get right now? I mean, are we talking Netflix? Are we talking some other streaming service? Like, I, I don't fully understand where they're going with it. The article then moves on to whether or not Colorado would leave to join the Big 12. Quote, In short, DeStefano says he wants the Pac-12 to expand back to 12 schools after UCLA and Southern California leave for the Big 10 next year. He poo-pooed 
the notion of joining the Big 12. This is interesting, right? He poo-pooed the idea of joining the Big 12. Let's, let's go see what he actually said here. If you, you scroll a little bit, uh, they get into talk of potentially leaving the Pac-12, and, and he said, uh, quote, nobody's asked us. I shouldn't even say that. We're committed to the Pac-12, he said. What I've said along with the other presidents and chancellors is we're not going to even think about going anywhere, none of us, until we see what kind of offer we get, and that's still being worked out. And I'm confident it's going to be fine. I'm sure that he's confident it's going to be fine. But does that sound like somebody that poo-pooed joining the Big 12? I mean, he mentioned that nobody's asked us, and then he said, I shouldn't even say that. The Big 12 is not just going to ask them. Invitations won't go out until all else is done. Not to mention the fact that the Pac-12 is still in the middle of a TV deal. Like, typically the school has to reach out to another conference to ask for an invitation. They have to let their conference know that they're leaving. I mean, this is what happened with Texas A&M and Missouri back in the day. Uh, same with Texas and Oklahoma. Same thing happened with USC and UCLA. The school contacts the conference. The conference and school presidents vote. Then they extend an invitation. Look, look at how Oregon and Washington met with Big Ten officials in Chicago last summer. Like, it, there was no invitation. They went and met. There was no invitation. And just to put a bow on this part, he didn't say no to the Big 12. He said, we're committed to the Pac-12. And then he reaffirmed that whole thing with, we're not going to even think about going anywhere until we see what kind of offer we get. I don't know about you guys, but like that does not sound like poo-pooing to me. It sounds like a wise business decision. If there's a chance that the new media rights deal is worth more with the Pac-12 than what the Big 12 schools are getting, then they'd be foolish to leave. Like I, I think that this is just wishful thinking, but alas, uh, the writer does go on to say that DeStefano noted how the Big 12 has only one school in the prestigious Association of American Universities, the AAU, uh, and that's Kansas, unlike the Pac-12, which has several, including Colorado. Now, he also said uh, that Colorado has had far more alumni engagement at football games in California cities than it ever had in the Big 12 cities. I don't necessarily know that I believe that. And even if I did, how much alumni engagement came from L.A., which won't be in the Pac-12 footprint now, and how much does he believe they'll get in the Bay Area in the future when there's hundreds of fans, hundreds, watching in Berkeley and Palo Alto? Like, maybe they'll get some more if San Diego State joins? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there are more Colorado alumni in Silicon Valley than in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Lubbock, Texas, or whatever. But how much does alumni engagement really matter in the grand scheme of things? I mean, we're, we're talking about athletics money at this point. Uh are, are all of those alumni going to make up for what you lose by not joining a better athletic conference? I mean, the academics is something that we've talked about for quite some time. Obviously, the Pac-12 is known for their academics, but that doesn't equate to viewers on TV. And it kind of goes against what the school has now done with their football program. I said it earlier uh, about Deion Sanders. But it, look, in this same article, the chancellor admitted that the school's academic requirements were holding back the football program. So uh, I'm sure they did what Stanford did, right? Like, uh, we're not going to change a thing. You guys just figure it out, right? If they're so concerned with academics, they likely would do that. Football's not that important. Whatever coach we bring in, they can figure it out. They hired Deion Sanders. And when he was announced as head coach, Stefano announced a new pilot program that would ease academic restrictions for all students, not just athletes, seeking to transfer from CU, or excuse me, to CU from other four-year colleges. 
So which one is really more important? Like this, this is an interesting question, right? And of course, they, they had to bring up expansion in the article because why wouldn't you? Uh, aside from media rights negotiations, this is the other hot topic with the Pac-12. DeStefano said, I'd like to have 12 schools. But the article does state, quote, a big issue, he said, would be whether those schools would bring enough revenue and other benefits to the league to justify their getting an equal cut of the revenue pie. He noted that neither SDSU nor SMU are AAU schools, which is important to the league presidents and chancellors in charge. On the other hand, San Diego State did really well in basketball, DeStefano said. He said they have a new uh, stadium in football. They have a good Southern California market. Dallas is a good area for recruiting. Okay. Uh, and just for good measure, they did happen to bring up the media rights deal again. Uh, this is another quote. He said expansion depends on the new media deal, which is getting close, he said. Now, haven't we heard this for, for quite some time now? The deal is close. It's a couple of weeks away. Should be done by mid-March. It is now late April. Like, if they want to add San Diego State in expansion, the deadline is July 1st, I believe. Otherwise, a buyout is going to be owed to the Mountain West Conference. So, you're getting rid of more money, at least the school is, or you, whoever is spending more money than they have to. So, not only do they have to get a media deal done, they got to get invitations out to San Diego State and SMU or whoever else, right? I mean, this is... This is mind-blowing. Just just nuts. Uh, I can't wait to hear the Chancellor speak again. Uh, from what I understand, there's a lot of people that had a lot to say about Phil DeStefano this week. Uh, I'm curious to hear more. I, I really am. Curious to hear more. Earlier this week, Michigan had two unexpected, uh, at least to the public, transfer portal entries. Wide receiver A.J. Henning and defensive back R.J. Moten both announced that they are entering the portal. Uh, they haven't announced where they're going yet, which means theoretically that they could come back to Ann Arbor. Uh, but these are two solid players. Henning hasn't played much. In the last two seasons, he had 19 catches for 139 yards and two touchdowns. He also ran the ball 12 times for 171 yards and two TDs. Like This is a guy that got touches in the playoff semifinal loss to TCU, so it's not like he was just completely buried on the bench. Uh, R.J. Moten, he played 426 snaps and had 31 tackles last year to go with one and a half sacks and an interception. He started 15 games the last two years. It was a little surprising to see these two enter the portal. Uh, they're both juniors, but those are two names to keep an eye on in the portal. Somebody's going to get some good ones with those guys. Uh, and then, we'll, we'll, let's see, I think this is the last one that we're going to hit on. Um, IMG Academy. IMG Academy in Florida was sold by Endeavor. Yes, that, that's the company that owns the UFC and now WWE. Uh, it was sold to a private equity firm, BPEA. EQT for $1.25 billion. Now, IMG Academy is being referred to as a sports education business. Uh, its assets include the main campus in Bradenton, Florida, which, for those that are not familiar, is in the Tampa area. It also includes sports camps across the country and worldwide, uh, along with online coaching and college recruiting businesses. Now, am I a fan of private equity firms buying up basically everything? Not really. Uh, but that doesn't really have anything to do with sports, so I'm not going to put you through that, right? Uh, while this made big news, I don't necessarily know that it means any changes are coming to one of the most prestigious high school athletic programs in the entire country. The president, Brent Richard, and the executive team are going to stay on in their roles uh, once the sale is done. And most people, I think, looked at this and said, whoa, like $1.25 for a high school? Like, isn't that 
Isn't that expensive? What I took away from it was the fact that Endeavor was willing to sell it at a loss. And yes, you did hear me correctly. Endeavor acquired IMG, including all events, media, and licensing businesses back in 2014 for $2.3 billion. So they lost over a billion dollars in nine years on this project. Like to me, if this private equity firm can't figure out what to do with it, uh, how, how long do they end up keeping it open? Or does something drastic change the way that it's run eventually? Like, only time will tell, I suppose. But uh, this is interesting to pay attention to, for sure. All right, that is going to wrap up this edition of Winning Cures Everything. Again, if you haven't already, click that like button for me. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and, of course, the podcast. Remember the goal, trying to get to 10,000 subscribers this year on YouTube. Uh, Also, make sure and jump in the comments. I want to know what you think about everything that we discussed today. Don't forget, of course, tune in. Tonight's NFL Draft live stream, Westlot Pirates, and the return of Chris Giannini to the show, 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be right here drinking some cool snacks, some tequila, some bourbon. Uh, I'm probably going to order a pizza. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Make sure that you get signed up at BetUS, of course. And as always, if there's something that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up. Again, it's at GaryWCE on Twitter. Or email me, Gary, at winningcureseverything.com. Or as, as I mentioned earlier, you can always toss in a comment on the YouTube video or on Rumble, of course, or a podcast review on Apple Podcasts, etc. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. If, of course, we don't see you during the NFL Draft Live show. Um, until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. God bless college football. And hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. If you want to toss in a question, you can email me, Gary, at winningcureseverything.com. Make sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.